Go ahead and find your Bible and open it up or turn it on. We're going to be in three different passages today. We're going to start out in 1 Peter chapter 3, and then we'll also go to Jude and 2 Corinthians as well. It's good to see you guys, and some of you all, I have seen some faces I haven't seen in a while, so that's pretty cool too. Uh, Welcome back to In Person. This is Civilization. Welcome back to Civilization. It's good to be back. It's also good to hear you guys sing on Sundays. If you're watching online, we're glad that you're here as well. If you're on Facebook or YouTube, if you can take a moment to do all that, like, share, subscribe, ring bells, invite friends, all that good stuff, we would greatly appreciate that so others can join us for worship today as well. Uh, On a scale of 1 to 10, how easy is it for you to take leaps of faith? If you have somebody sitting next to you that you know, just go ahead and uh, just let them know. What, what do you th- how, do you, how do you think you score on a scale of 1 to 10? How easy is it for you to take leaps of faith? Uh, do, we have any, uh, it, it's, do we have any ones in the house? I like never take leaps of faith. Okay. Do we have any tens in the house? It's really easy for me to take leaps of, of faith. Some people are tens. That's just how God wired them. They live in the moment. You're the kind of individual you could wake up this morning with absolutely no plans whatsoever to bungee jump. And then you can just be happen to walk past a 300-foot bridge with a rubber band dangling from it. And suddenly, the next thing you know, you're bungee jumping. Because you live in the moment, you're not afraid to take those leaps of faith Others, not quite, right? You know, if, if you, first of all, you'd never bungee jump, but if you did, you would have to plan it out, study the physics behind it, check out the elasticity of the rubber band, how often do they change it, things like that. Uh, maybe, maybe you prefer more to live in your head before you act. You need to process out every possible outcome because your, your actions need to be supported with sound risk management. Anybody, anybody sound like that? Anybody, anybody feel, feel related to that? And there's a lot of us that probably fall somewhere in, in between. Now, I'll come back to that leap of faith here in a little bit, but today I am beginning a new series of messages that I have entitled Frequently Asked Questions. And let me give you a little bit of the series overview here on the next slide if we can. So uh, this is going to take us through April and May. I would love to have you bring friends to be a part of this series of messages. We're going to look at today the question of why ask Uh, Why do we ask questions? Why do we examine our faith? Why do we uh, go through these things? Uh, Next week, we're going to be looking at the question of what is so special about the Bible. Uh, On April 25th, we're going to look at two questions. One, does God exist? And if he does exist, can he be known? On May the 16th, we're going to look at the question of did Jesus ever claim to be God? Did he claim to be God, or did he just basically claim to be a good teacher? Uh, then on May 20, or May the, in between there, on May the 8th, I'm going to be out. Uh, Derek Draper is going to be preaching for us on Mother's Day. So uh, you look forward to hearing Derek preach on Mother's Day. Uh, May 23rd, we're going to be looking at the question, are all religions the same? And then on May the 30th, 
we're going to look at the question of how does a person become a Christian. Now understand that as we go through this, this is a church. So what that means is we're going to come at it from the perspective of what does the Bible have to say about this? How, how does Christianity understand these questions? Uh, but we're going to try to examine these questions from the perspective of Scripture and from the perspective of Christianity. But today, let's kick off this series of messages by asking a question of my own, and that is, why ask? Why ask questions? When it comes to faith, some people don't like asking questions about their faith. Or if somebody starts kind of probing, a lot of times this happens with teenagers, young adults, they start asking questions, and, and we tend to have a shutdown mentality of, well, hey, God said it, I believe it, that settles it, stop. <laughs> Conversation over, right? Anybody ever encounter that? Yeah. Or some are real closed-minded when it comes to Christianity. Somewhere along the way, you've just shut out the idea that God exists, and if He does exist, He can be known, and that you can have forgiveness, you can have a hope that goes beyond this world, somewhere along the way, you've just shut that idea down and you begin, th you begin thinking, well, I'm just going to do it my way. And then there's others that you enjoy digging for answers. I think it's essential for us to realize this, that Christianity can withstand questions. If, if we as Christians believe that this is truth, it can withstand questions about its veracity. It is okay to ask questions. In fact, parents, there's going to come a time in your child's life where as they grow and mature, it's perfectly natural for them to ask questions about the faith. And that is actually part of the process where that baton passes from generation to generation. Because if you can help a young person think through his or her faith, have solid answers and a solid understanding that allows them to go into a world that is often becoming more and more hostile towards Christianity, but they can go into that world with an understanding of who they are in Jesus Christ fully equipped to live out their faith and to live out God's mission, then you pass that baton of faith to the next generation and they to the next generation, and the faith and the gospel continues to advance long after we're gone. Questions are not the opposite of faith. Doubt is not the opposite of faith. What is the opposite of faith? Unbelief. To push away and to go your own way, to go towards sin, that is the opposite of what it means to be living a life of faith. Now let's go back to the leap of faith idea that I began with. At the heart of Christianity is faith. To be a follower of Jesus Christ, it requires faith. Do you remember what the book of Hebrews said? Without faith, it is what? Do you remember? impossible to please God. As Christians, we must have faith. But understand that God doesn't call you 
to just a blind faith that leaps into a total unknown. God, the creator and sustainer of the universe, has revealed himself to you, his purposes and his ways. He has intentionally made himself known. We see the reality of God in creation, but more than that, we understand the truth of God and we understand more about who He is through the pages of Scripture. And as believers, God has also blessed us with the presence or the inflowing of the Holy Spirit within us that guides us to live out the truths of Scripture. And this revelation of God becomes a vehicle of faith that allows us to place our faith in God, not blindly, but trusting that He is who He says He is. But now realize this about faith. There will always be some unknowns. There will always be some elements of trust in Christianity. You say, well, I don't like that. I, I have to know all the answers. If, if I can't know all the answers and have it all figured out, then I can't be a Christian. Think about this for a second, though, okay? How many areas of life do you just have to live with some things that maybe you don't understand, that you can't see everything and all, all the details about them? Whenever a couple stands right here where this desk is, not on the desk, but like right here where this desk is, and, and they say, I do, they really have no idea what they're saying I do too. You know, I, I, I've been married to the same person, happily married for 23 years now, Stacy right here, and uh, uh, both of us would testify, hey, listen, if we were to talk to our 23-year-old-ago self, we had no clue what the journey was going to lead to. We knew this, though, that we loved each other, and whatever the journey brought, we wanted to face it together. And so when a couple engages in marriage, it requires a leap of faith. To experience the joy of love requires that you be willing to take that leap of faith. In various areas of life, you're constantly having to trust and take those leaps of faith. Have you ever thought about how much trust is involved with just getting on the airplane? You're trusting a lot of people. You're trusting Nick. Nick back over here. He keeps the airplanes running. You're trusting that he actually tightened that bolt and that he actually got that computer system running correctly, right, Nick? Uh, you're trusting the pilot, that the pilot's awake, that the pilot knows what he or she is doing. You're trusting the air traffic controllers. All through that flight, you don't have control of, of, of very much at all. You just sit, buckle, and... I don't know, read the magazine or surf the internet, something like that. We live in a, in a trust-based world. And, and we like to think in our minds that we have all the answers and we can control whatever comes at us. But the reality is, much of life is lived in the faith realm. And whenever we try to retreat from that idea, it usually leads us to the fear realm and we often miss out on much of the beauty of the human experience because we're not trusting, we're not enjoying, 
we're not experiencing what God wants us to experience. You see, my friends, some of the greatest joys of life are often found in the oceans of trust where I let go of the objective world that I have to control and understand and I hold on to faith. And realize this, God is bigger than you. And so at some point, and I'm not calling you just to blind faith because God has revealed himself to us. We can know things about God. He has a track record. (laughs) But at some point, worshiping him does mean we have to take that leap of faith and trust in him. But now, think about the idea of God. What kind of God do you have if you could figure everything about him? Figure everything out about him. That's a pretty small God, isn't it? Right? He's bigger than us. There are logical reasons why we take the leap. Why the objective world demands a narrative. And why I believe the narrative behind the objective world is the story of Christianity. That Christianity and Jesus make sense. It's why the foundation on which we build our lives as Christians is the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You're going to build your life on something. What's it going to be? The shifting sands of human opinion or eternal truth that has stood the test of time and brings a solid, stable foundation beneath you? So why ask? Why ask? Let me share with you three scriptures today that talk about the the idea that we need to have a reason for our faith, that we need to be able to defend our faith. If you have your Bibles, go to 1 Peter chapter 3, 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 15. Now, Peter is writing to some believers who were going through a time of persecution. They were being uh, kind of canceled, if you will, for their faith, and and people were trying to shut them up and to basically say that uh, having faith was not allowed. And so he, uh, he starts to push into this, this idea of undeserved suffering in verse 13, and he asked the question, who then will harm you if you are devoted to what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness, you are blessed. And then he says, do not fear what they fear or be intimidated. You see, I think a lot of times Christians are intimidated by people outside the faith. We actually fear people asking us questions, or we fear that someone is going to expose Christianity in some way so that what we've built our lives upon is is revealed to be lacking. And if we're not careful, we become ashamed of the gospel. Paul dealt with that in Romans chapter 1 as well, where he said, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I will not be ashamed, no matter what culture I go into, where I go in the world, I will not be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So in verse 15, he says, In your hearts, regard Christ. 
or understand, separate yourself from the world in Christ so that you understand who you are in Christ, the Lord, as holy, and be ready at any time to give a defense to who ask you to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. In your heart, resolve this, that your allegiance is with the Lord. And then cultivate that relationship so that you don't just know things about the Lord, but you know the Lord. How do you really walk with the Lord? Well, you need to have a prayer time. You need to be in the Word. You need to be worshiping. You need to be honest with yourself and with the Lord to bring those areas of struggle to Him and say, Lord, help me to grow and to mature. And then whenever people attack your faith, you have a reason for your hope. Now, sometimes those reasons for our hope are logical reasons. Sometimes we can get into various arguments, very apologetic arguments, where we say, well, this is the reason why I place my hope in Christ versus being an atheist, and we can give logical reasons for our faith. Sometimes, though, the reason for the hope within us is experiential. I know God. I can't always explain it, but I can tell you this. I know Him. But now I also want you to notice that in 1 Peter, in verse 16, he says, Do this with gentleness and reverence, keeping a clear conscience so that when you are accused, those who disparage your good conduct in Christ will be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. So make sure you catch this, particularly if you are wired towards being argumentative. The Scriptures teach us to maintain our graciousness. And as a believer, even as you develop good, solid reasons for your faith, even as you try to defend the faith and stand for right in a world that might anger you sometimes, don't become that Christian that, BAM! I'm going to beat you over that side of the head with my Bible, and then to finish you off, I'm going to beat you again. Don't become that angry Christian that is always just full of bitterness and bite in everything that you say. I've been talking to people for a long time about the Christian faith. I have yet to argue somebody into the Christian faith. I've had some good arguments about it. But I've found you can lay it out there. You can give the reasons why you're a believer, the reasons why you think it makes sense. But at some point, the Holy Spirit has to do the work that only the Holy Spirit can do. Well, look with me also to Jude. Jude, and we'll just say Jude 3. The reason why we just say Jude 3 is because Jude only has one chapter. So you're like, man, that's my kind, of chap- my kind of book right there. One chapter, Jude chapter 3. And, and you'll notice here, or Jude chapter 1, verse 3, and you'll notice here, uh, he says, Dear friends, I was eager to write to you about the salvation that we share. So Jude was a natural encourager. Jude, his name means praise. And he naturally wanted to be an encourager to the church, and he wanted to write to them 
uh, an encouraging letter that would be naturally positive, but God changed his mind. Instead, he wrote a letter challenging the church to stand firm in an ungodly world. And so he says, uh, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was delivered to the saints once for all. If you continue on in Jude, you discover this in Jude verse 4. You discover that the faith that they were contending for was under attack. And guess where it was under attack from? From within. There were people in the church that were attacking the truth of the gospel. And so he says, I am appealing to you to understand your faith, to study your faith, to be willing to contend for the faith, for the gospel message that was delivered to you by Christ, and to realize that Christ died upon the cross once for all. Don't lose hold of the gospel, dear church. Don't water down the gospel. Don't water down the scriptures. Don't confuse form that which is truth just to fit in inside or outside of the church. And so then we move on to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 3. Now the Apostle Paul was actually being criticized in a rather unique way. The Judaizers there in the church in Corinth were essentially saying, you know, Paul, he talks a big game when he's writing. He writes very boldly, but whenever he's in person, he's a little bit more shy and a little bit more diplomatic. And so they were actually criticizing Paul because they felt like he wasn't um, fighting them hard enough. He wasn't going to war with them. And so he says in verse 3, For although we live in the flesh... We do not wage war according to the flesh. He basically says, listen, I'm not going to, I don't have to fight heresy by getting down and, and uh, adopting their means. Since the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh. But what we fight with as believers is something far more powerful. We fight with the truth. We fight with the power of God. And he says whenever you understand that the real battle is a spiritual battle, then you understand the power of God to demolish strongholds. And people will come against Christianity in certain ways with arguments that that seem to make sense or, or add to the gospel in some way or take away from the gospel. But whenever you stand firm in the truth, in the knowledge of God, it demolishes those arguments. Pride comes before the cross and it's humiliated before the powerful and matchless love of Jesus Christ. And then he says at the end of verse 5, and we take every thought captive to obey Christ. We live in a world 
where there are just so many thoughts. Man, we are inundated with information. YouTube, Google, uh, just everywhere. So much information. And one of the biggest questions that you can answer for yourself, and I hope that if you haven't already answered this question, that you will nail this down over the next few weeks. Where do I go for truth? What is my rock? As I build my life and the relationships in my life and I try to understand the world, what is my source for truth? What what is my foundation? Understand, Christians are not anti-science. I hear that sometimes. Those Christian, you're you're anti-science. No. I'm thankful for science. And I'm appreciative of the process. I'm not a scientist, but I'm appreciative of the process that science uses to establish natural truth. I think as science unfolds and and discovers natural truth, they are ultimately, in my mind, discovering aspects of the creative order that my God created. I'm thankful that when my daughter McKenna was born, premature, that there was science and medical care to take care of her. How many of us in this room, you you wouldn't be here if it weren't for advancements in medicine that took care of you during various challenges in your life? So I'm thankful for science, not anti-science, but science is not God. And it struggles to bring answers to some of the ultimate questions of life. Questions like, why am I here? Why do I have the basic need to love and be loved? Why do human beings have dignity? Why should life be treated with dignity and respect? Do moral absolutes exist? And if so, why? Is there any real hope? Or how about this one to which we can all relate? Can I be forgiven for my past? Christians are not anti-science. But we do try to probe deeper to ask those ultimate questions of life, those questions of meaning, those questions of hope, those questions of love that ultimately bring into focus much of where we live. I will also say Christians are not anti-YouTube, Siri, or Alexa. Although I did turn Siri off on my phone. And I'll tell you why. So uh, a few years back, I think it was seven, eight years back, I was preaching away on a Sunday uh, man, I was, you know how sometimes I go on those rants where I start talking really fast? I was talking really fast and I was going, man, 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 boom, 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 boom. And then suddenly Siri in my phone says, Lash, can you repeat that? I don't think I heard that. And it like caught in the microphone and everybody laughed and it was one of those moments I was like, okay, I, got, I better turn Siri off on, on my phone. Uh, you can find all sorts of answers today through a Google search. I'm a Gen Xer. When I was going to school, we had to go to the card catalog, remember? 
pull out those cards, and then you'd pull out a book, and then you'd you know, make a copy of it, and you had to tear it up because you couldn't keep it, that kind of thing. I mean, it, that's just how we operate. And now you do a Google search. You, you want to know how to, guys, you, or ladies, you want to know how to cook a great brisket? Go to YouTube, and you can have one of the best brisket cooks in the world teach you how to cook brisket on YouTube. You can get a college degree today without ever leaving your home. There are literally people making millions of dollars sitting in their pajamas eating Hot Pockets while working on a laptop from the comfort of their home. It is a strange world in which we live. But there's so much information uh, in front of us. But let's, let's get real about one of the things. Hey, as we start coming towards, and I realize I'm talking a little bit long, so I'll try to talk fast and land this, okay? One of the things that the pandemic taught us, we need community. We need real people in our lives. Even those among us who are a little antisocial, you still need real people in your lives. And as great as technology is, it doesn't provide us all the answers. And sometimes one of the greatest challenges that we have living in the Google world is how do I filter all this stuff down into something that can be used? How do I find wisdom when I'm trying to swim in an ocean? How do I find the real answers to my life when there's so many different opinions, so many voices out there? And so when it comes to the ultimate questions in life, you need the Lord. Nothing else will do. And so let me finish with this last question today. How's your relationship with God today? How is your relationship with God today? Now today may be the day where you need to begin that relationship. You need to take that leap of faith and trust in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And that's what God's calling you to. And as I've spoken, it really wasn't so much what I said, but there's something that God's just pressed up against your heart, and you know it. And today, He's calling you to take that leap of faith and trust in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. Now, there's others of us in the room You've trusted in Christ as Savior and Lord, but there's that area in your life, and I, I, I don't know what it is, but you do. That area in your life where God is saying, trust me. Trust me. God, I can't see all the answers. I need to know. I, Lord, Lord, I'm scared over here. And God just keeps coming at you saying, trust me, trust me, trust me. I will take care 